Well, good morning. Welcome to Lifestone Church. Merry Christmas. It's just a few days away. Who here, show of hands, has finished, finished your Christmas shopping? Yeah. Yeah, nobody in my family is raising their hands, but okay. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, it's that time of year. Sometimes we focus on those kind of things um, and, and what we hope through this series that we've done that will uh, kind of come to a conclusion today is uh, these carols that we sing. Music is a big part of Christmas. And uh, so often we sing these Christmas carols, and some of them are fun and just kind of geared towards celebrating kind of the secular side of Christmas that kind of doesn't highlight what Christmas is really all about, Jesus. Uh, but the, the ones that do sing about uh, Jesus, we want to just throw some light on them to say, to remind ourselves what we're singing. And today we're going to look at um, o Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And in that kind of uh, uh, idea of, of people just looking at the secular kind of side of Christmas, and I know um, that's just something we, we, we deal with in our culture, uh, along with that, this word Emmanuel, uh, sometimes it's only brought up in the context of Christmas. Many people, I think, only hear it in that context. And so we're going to look at what that really means, Emmanuel. Um, and, and what we're really singing about. Um, so here's a little history of this carol. Now, this is one of the oldest carols that we sing at Christmas. Um, and it's written, we don't even know who wrote it, who wrote the original lyrics to it. We kind of know where it comes from. Uh, and it comes, it's, it's some 1,200 years old. It could possibly be that old. There's kind of a, a range of ages that they give it from 1,200 years old to to somewhere around 900 years old. Um, but where it became one of our Christmas carols was in the 18, uh, 18th century, uh, a guy by the name of John Mason Neal. Now, I'd never heard that name when I was researching and looking into this carol, uh, but I found a, a little bit about this guy, and I like him. I'm going to look him up in heaven, and we're going to hang out. Um, he, he's a really smart guy. Uh, he was a brilliant student at Oxford, and he spoke and wrote over 20 different languages. And he loved God's word. He loved the Bible. And, and when he read the Bible, just the things just jumped out at the whole message. Kind of like this video we watched. That the entire Bible story points to Jesus. Points to God's big plan and picture of what he's doing through Jesus. And, and um, he, here's a guy who loved the, the good news of the Bible, that it is uh, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And he promoted that so much that the church in that day and time didn't know what to do with him. And they were like, well, let's, let's send him off uh, somewhere else, this brilliant guy who's passionate about uh, grace and, and the Bible. And so they shipped him off to an island, um, some islands off the west coast of Africa. Well, what he did there was decided, hey, I'm still going to uh, follow, um, follow what the Bible has to say and proclaim that message. And he went and uh, started an orphanage and, uh, in a very, very impoverished area. Um, and he started, uh, what else did he start? A girls' school. And he also started kind of a, uh, a ministry for uh, prostitutes in the area, trying to help them uh, get out of that. So this guy's really cool. Hundreds of years ago, he writes this carol 
and, and takes some, some really, some older lyrics and, and puts them to this, uh, to this song. And uh, in his brilliance, you know these smart people, you ever run into them? He's like a renaissance man, and he was uh, also into music. So when he wrote this original carol, it was meant to be uh, performed by two different choirs. And the two different choirs would be singing to one another, kind of the question and the plea and the cry, and then the response and the answer. And so we'll look at this, and I think you'll see that in here. Uh, some of the lyrics here are, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Um, so just the O come, O come is this plea and this cry to God that you have promised this Messiah, this Savior. And, and, and we're crying and pleading that, that he comes and that you fulfill your promise. Um, and because Israel is, is captive uh, and the, that mourns in lonely exile here, until the Son of God appears. And so here's the answer, and here's God's answer is ultimately in Jesus. And so what's the response to that? Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's uh, tyranny, from de the depths of hell. And so, again, referring to prophecy, that God has made these promises and he's referring to some Old Testament scripture that talks about these origins and, and kind of where Jesus will, will come from and the line he will come from. And that he ultimately uh, is the solution and answer uh, to hell. Uh, Thy people save and give them victory or the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad divisions cease. And, and by thyself, our king of peace, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. And he says, what's the conclusion of the Savior coming into the world? Uh, the world, our response should be that we have unity and we have peace. And that's what, what we're brought um, through Jesus. And that's another theme we see throughout Christmas. So, Emmanuel, what does this mean? No, it's not Jesus' middle name in Spanish or something. Um, it is, it means, in your program there, Emmanuel means God with us. And when we're proclaiming that, and when we're singing that, and when we read that in Scripture, we are proclaiming this incredible thing that God is with us. And I want to talk about, in just the rest of the morning here, just unfold the, the significance of what that means. Uh, in Matthew 1, 21 and 23, this is another um, passage that we often look at when we look at the story of Christmas. And it says, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And I love this as this is being recorded. Uh, the Old Testament is going to get quoted. Isaiah, written somewhere uh, about 745 to 800 years prior, with great detail, God is proclaiming, prophesying what is going to happen and how the Messiah will come and how they would re recognize that this is really God fulfilling his promises. It goes on in verse 23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, so we get this radical concept this radical truth that we talked about last week, maybe the week before, 
that, that Jesus is going to be God with us. In the beginning, I say we talked about this a couple weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of John. Uh, the very beginning of John, uh, the Gospel of John, declares that, that Jesus was with God. Jesus is referred to as the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. That Jesus is God. And it goes on in, in verse 14 on that first chapter to say, The Word, or Jesus, became a human and lived among us. This crazy, radical concept and idea. I don't think we, in a million years, humanity wouldn't have come up with this story. And, and uh, what we come up with to try to approach God is completely the other direction. That, okay, we get some sense that there is a God. There is a creator God. We look at creation. We look at humanity. We look around us and go, there's got to be something bigger, and there has to be some origin. Even the most brilliant scientific minds of today with all our technology and discovery are going, okay, we're still trying to find out exactly what the origin is. There's got to be an origin to everything that we experience and know and see. And, and how have we historically on our own come up with an idea to approach the creator? It is us trying to get to him, trying to climb to him trying to come up with some system that makes us right with him. But God says, no, that's not how this is going to happen. This is not how you are going to be made right with me. I am going to come down to you. So every other form of religion is some kind of ladder, some kind of some system that gets you up to God. But God's way of making us right with him was for him to come to us and do this incredible, beautiful thing of stripping away uh, some of these attributes of, of his so that he could put on human flesh and come among us and do what was necessary to make us right with him. Um, so in John 14, uh, 16, now here's what I want to kind of unfold a little bit as far as God's presence with us and God being with us. And what we're declaring is Emmanuel. That's what we're specifically talking about, that Jesus is with us. And he came to this earth. But guess what? He's not here anymore. And we're going to talk, look at some verses that, that allude to that. and talk, Well, allude to it, like point it out directly. And, um, but if we have a, a biblical understanding of who God is, he's everywhere present. So he is with us always because the very nature of God is that sometimes we make... Just like we think we can make a system that makes us right with God, we come up with our version of God on our own. When we come up with a man-made religion, he winds up being like us. He winds up being so much less than what uh, the, the picture of God that we see as he has revealed himself in Scripture, in the Bible. And so um, we get this big picture that God is everywhere. So yeah, God is with us because he's everywhere present. That's how big God is. Um, and so there is this concept and this idea that we should understand. And when I'm singing Emmanuel, God is with us, I'm thinking this big, huge God. And he's everywhere present. But he did this beautiful thing of coming and putting on human flesh in, G in the form of Jesus and, and coming to this earth to be with us, to fulfill and, and live a perfect life and go to a cross to pay for my debt and my sin. In uh, John 14, 16, um, 
We're going to look at this other concept, though, because I said in this, you might be like, what are we singing? You're just confusing me. Stick with me here. So Jesus leaves, but what he says is for those who accept him and receive him and receive this free gift of salvation that he offers, then we have this other sense of God with us, and it is his spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. Another concept that is, that is really uh, pretty, really completely amazing, we look in the Old Testament at times when the Spirit of God would be upon someone, but it wasn't this permanent indwelling in someone's life. And, and, and the whole concept and idea is that, well, how can we have the perfect, holy Spirit of God live in us? We're not worthy. Like, literally, like Wayne's World edition, we are not worthy in any way, shape, or form to have the Spirit of God dwell in us. How could this be? How is this new presence of God able to be in our lives? So let's look at some verses that point to this, this concept. John 14, 16. Then I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, to send you the Holy Spirit who will help you and always be with you. So, so first of all, this promise that we get of the Holy Spirit for those who accept and receive Jesus, that we get the Holy Spirit with us, and it is set, done deal, permanent, forever, cannot be taken away. Jesus, uh, and I don't have the verse up here, but Jesus actually taught his disciples that it's better that he goes away. And of course, his inner circle is like, nah. And it's kind of funny. We do the same thing, right? We argue with God. We're like, no, we got it figured out better than you. And so they were upset at that concept and that idea, but he told them it's better that I go away. Why? Because in his, the, the way that he uh, was here in this world in human flesh, he said, because when I go away, then the Holy Spirit will come and indwell all believers. Um, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God. Uh, you do not belong to yourself. So this is speaking to people who have accepted Jesus and, and put their trust in him and received him. It, it gives us the description that we're the temple of God. And they would understand that, the people with that context, because they had, talking about the presence of God being with them in a special way, well, that, in the Old Testament, they would think, well, that's the temple. The temple has the Spirit of God. And it's hard to explain or fully understand, but God's presence is, is, is with them. And that was a reminder when they had the temple. Now, they had the first version of the temple was, uh, was mobile style. Our church, when we started, we were mobile church. And I so identified with these uh, the, the nation of Israel as they were wandering around because that's how we felt. We had to like set up. Well, uh, set up and tear down every week. Um, there's like a special crown in heaven for people who are part of churches that have to set up and tear down that you get when you go to heaven, I think. Three of you will appreciate that this morning. Okay. But anyways, um, they have this 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 truth and this understanding that God's presence was with them and it was a reminder the first mobile version was the tabernacle and then as they were established in the promised land they built the temple 
Um, and, and that is the reference in which this verse is given to us, that that was how God represented that his presence with, was with the people. And, and, but they had, a, they had a big view of God, and they knew he was holy. They knew that if, they, if someone was in the presence of God, that they would immediately die, that there was no way because of his holiness that we could stand to be in our limited physical uh, state here on earth, be in the full presence of God. And so even in the system of, of approaching God in the temple, there were these courts and inner courts and inner courts, and the most inner part of the temple was the Holy of Holies. And only one person one day a year could enter the Holy of Holies. So this was a very set-apart, very sacred thing that they did. And it was the high priest to go in there, and, and it was a part of their whole uh, service that, that God um, instructed them to do. But they would tie a rope around the high priest as he went in there on that one day, uh, around his foot. Why? Because they knew if he didn't do this the way that he was supposed to, if there was something uh, that was, that was uh, incorrect about this, that there's a good chance as he's in the presence of God that he will just die. And if someone goes in there after him, what's going to happen to them? They're going to die. So they would tie this rope around his foot, and then he would go do as God instructed. And then if something happened, if he died, they could just pull him out. Because they had that understanding of the holiness of God. Now, can you imagine being, like, picked <laughs> to be the high priest? You know, I'd be like, once a year, you know, I'd be like, all right, got the rope, it's secured, got my diaper on, all right, I'm going in. I mean, this, this, was, this was something that they, they, they understood what, how significant, how different this was, being in the presence of God. So they, but, but then we get to the, old, the New Testament on this side of the cross, and we get this picture that the Spirit of God, this thing, that only the high priest one day a year could be in the presence of dwells within us. And that there's no need for temples anymore. That pointed to, to, to what G, who Jesus is and what he's accomplished, but that we're the temples. Those who have received Jesus were the temples of God. How in the world are we worthy enough, holy enough, to have the Spirit of God dwell within us and it be a permanent thing that can never go away? It is because the righteousness of Jesus is credited to us as believers. And that in the standing before God of our righteousness, our worthiness, our holiness, it's Jesus's, his worthiness, his holiness, holiness is credited to us. That's just the basis of the, the good news, but it helps us understand this other level of Emmanuel, God with us. As a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells you um here's another verse that points to that matthew 28 20 well and i say that this is what i think is interesting uh in matthew the last words of jesus the very last words of jesus he says all authority has been given to him pointing to who he is that he's fully god and he gives us the command to go and to share the good news to make disciples to, and how do we do that we teach him everything that jesus taught but then he ends with this great word of encouragement uh, in Matthew 28, 20. Very last thing before he goes into heaven. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, some of you guys, you're like, that sounds real familiar. You're familiar with church or the Bible. 
But think about this real quick, okay? Jesus is like, I am with you. Here's the last thing I'm going to tell you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm leaving. Peace. Wait a minute. You just said <laughs> you're with us always. Yep, that's what I said. Bye-bye. <laughs> is Jesus a liar? What is happening here? It's what he talked about and taught his disciples earlier, that, that he's leaving, but the Holy Spirit is, is there. And, of course, God, the other essence is that God is everywhere present, but that Jesus is in heaven, but that he's still with us. And it's just this bigger view of God, that instead of the man version, man-like version of God that we would come up with, it's a much bigger God that is three in one. Uh, along with the last phrase that he shares with us, he says, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, putting them all on the same level, that we have a God that is bigger than our minds can wrap around. He's a triune God. And that Jesus is in heaven, preparing a place, sitting at the right hand uh, of the Father, and that God's everywhere present. And then the Holy Spirit is dwelling in and living in each and every believer. Um, so he's with us in, in that sense. Here's three quick things to really focus on what that means that God is with us also. Um, God is with you, number one. God is with you. And, and what I want to do is look at the, the um, Christmas story and just think in a sense of Mary. Now, here's what I'm, I'm going to assume with some people and I, I've felt this myself, is that we read stories in the Bible that God is with people, and they're special. And that doesn't apply to me. There's like this special handful of people that God likes better, and he's with them. But I guess not me. Why not me? Because look at my life. Like, my life is, man, I've had hard things in my life. I've had difficulty in my life. I've had challenges in my life that I can't explain it and to the point that I just think well God's not here God's not with me and and here's I just want to encourage you God is with you because Mary must have felt the same thing because she must be in that category of people that yeah surely I mean she she was the mother of Jesus yeah okay I'm going to put her in the category of this handful of people that we see in the Bible and others that maybe you know yeah God's definitely with her but not with me do you think she really felt like that at every moment? As she went through the pain and agony of being, uh, finding out that she's pregnant and going, I'm a virgin, I'm pregnant, and I got a fiancé who hasn't completely tied the knot, and I live in a culture that is very much going to frown upon this, and I'm 12 or something. I think that's the most extreme scholarly guess at how young she was. You know, I, I think she might have been a little bit older, <laughs> but I've heard as young as that, but she may have been 14, 15, 14. I have a 14-year-old daughter in here. <laughs> Can't imagine. Can't imagine. Karis, come up here, and we'll imagine. No, she won't do it. Okay. So, so just think of her circumstance. Think of her situation. And she must have been at some point crying out, God's not with me. <laughs> And yet, on our side, seeing how God works, we go, wow, God was with her. 
And then God knows that. So in Luke 1, 28, the first thing that he has, the angel proclaimed to her. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. God knew that he had to remind her and tell her and encourage her in the midst of going through an incredibly stressful thing. That here, Here's the most encouraging thing the Lord can share with you going through this. God is with you. Um, and you see that time and time again throughout Scripture. Often you see when God would send an angel or declare something to someone who is going through something, that would be one of the first things he would share. That I'm with you. Um, Jesus, I think in his last words there, that's, that's part of what he's saying. I'm, I'm, always, I'm always with you. God is with you. Um, I think it's interesting that God chooses to relate to us as a father. And um, in, in my, uh, some people, that can be challenging because not everybody grew up with a real positive father figure. And so sometimes they have to get over the challenge of thinking, okay, when I think of father, I have a real negative uh, viewpoint. And God has revealed himself in that type of relationship to us and given him God the Father in that sense. And so sometimes it's hard, and, and we just need to go, okay, well, if I didn't have a, a positive father figure, what's the father I wish I would have had? I wish I would have had a, a great father. Well, God is that great father. He's that perfect father. And that's, excuse me, that's how he chooses to relate to us. And so I was thinking about my own experience uh, growing up and thinking, th this was a weird revelation to me as I was going through these, these uh, uh, points is that every time that I could think of a significant moment in my life that I was fearful, my dad wasn't there. Because I was fortunate. I was on the other side of being fortunate enough to have a great father who was very loving, supportive, pointed us to Jesus, loved Jesus, great dad. And, and I, I thought of just there's some traumatic moments growing up in my life. And every traumatic moment, guess what? My dad wasn't there. And he's human. Like, that's okay. I'm not trying to say anything bad about it. He's an awesome dad. But I think that, had, that, that uh, contributed to those moments being difficult. One of the ones I remember is we, uh, every summer we'd go to Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe fans, um, some native Lake Tahoeans, um, love Lake Tahoe, beautiful place. I remember some of my earliest memories of Lake Tahoe was, was half drowning. Can you half drown? I don't think you can half drown, but... Coming close to it, because I didn't learn to swim until I was uh, maybe seven or eight. And so I was about five or six. My son just laughed at me about that. Um, <laughs> hey, we moved around a lot. There wasn't, you know, I didn't take swimming lessons. Like, I really, it was kind of a, a while for me to, to learn to swim. So I, I couldn't swim, and we, were, we visited. Uh, my, my mom grew up in that area, so we go to Lake Tahoe, see my aunt who lived in Reno, and and uh, every time we saw her, she kind of had a new boyfriend. And uh, the latest boyfriend, uh, he, he was a smoker. And, and, and me and my, you know, siblings were like, oh, that's bad. And we're going to help him out, okay? And so we'll just get some lake water, and we'll, we'll just kind of douse all these, all these packs of cigarettes or whatever he has. He did not like that. And so one of my earliest memories that I can remember is this guy who I didn't know um, just met, like, taking me and throwing me into Lake Tahoe as far as he could run out and toss me into there because he was upset. And me, like, trying to yell and scream, I can't swim. 
and he didn't care. And uh, <laughs> somehow surviving that, but thinking like, oh, for whatever reason, my father wasn't there. He was, you know, helping get a picnic ready that we were going to have later on or whatever. But if he was there, <laughs> you know, that probably wouldn't have happened. Um, there's some other moments in my life. Uh, my, the first fight I was ever in. I think guys, especially, like you ever remember your first fight, you know? I, I probably weighed like 40 pounds, and I was still in elementary school, and I had this cool new skateboard, and this kid, like two or three times my size, came up to me and was like, I'm going to ride your skateboard. And I was like, no, it's my, I've seen you ride other kids' skateboards, and you like break them. No, because he was just real rough and thought, whatever, he's just a bully, you know? And, and then that's all I remember, and waking up, <laughs> kind of going, what happened? <laughs> and he had taken my skateboard and smacked me over the head with it. <laughs> I know. Um, I survived. And, uh, you know, but, but I think, oh, yeah, man, there's another, like, I ha I've had a, a, not a rough life growing up or anything. I was very blessed, but um, my dad wasn't there. And, you know, if he was there, that, that probably wouldn't have went down like that. Um, and, and I just think in my life, you know, how important and how valuable it was to have my father there and just the security that it gave me because I had such a great dad. And, and I just want to encourage you, maybe you didn't have that great earthly father, but there's this beautiful promise and this reality that especially this whole thing of God himself dwelling in you for those who have accepted him, that God is truly with you. Number two, God was with you. Well, what does that mean? God was with you. Uh, I look at one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, Joseph. Now, this isn't Jesus' earthly dad, Mary's um, future husband. This is a guy he's named after, probably, um, that we find all the way back in Genesis. And he just had, and many of you know the story, but he had an incredibly difficult path. Of, of having a bunch of brothers who were envious of him to the point that they just wanted to kill him. Instead, they kind of compromised and just sold him into slavery. So he's sold into slavery, and then uh, he uh, winds up getting accused, falsely accused, of, of something that throws him into jail. So he spends his time in jail, and uh, then he rises in the ranks by honoring God, living a life that honors God, and just trusting in him no matter uh, what, what his circumstances are around him, even though they're very unfair. And he winds up, God putting him in the second highest place in the, the only superpower of the world, um, or the biggest superpower of the world at the time, Egypt. And God uses that in an incredible way to use his position and influence to save what really becomes the nation of Israel that, that, that accomplishes God's plan of ultimately pointing and giving us uh, Jesus. And so God does all this, and just one verse, there's, there's many we could point out, but Genesis 39, 21 says, The Lord was with him, talking about Joseph, in the midst of everything he went through. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So that's when he was in, in prison. And, and, you know, whatever you're going through, we get these stories in Scripture to show that, that often in the midst of, um, of, of what, what's happening in our life, we go, 
is God really at work? Is he, did he forget me? Did he go out to lunch? Does he not like me? And, and the fact is, we, many of us, especially very specifically, I look back in my own life, and I go, man, God was with me in times when I was completely spitting in his face and saying, I don't want anything to do with you. But he protected me, and he guided me, and he put people in my life to share his love to me. And I can say this very confidently that because you're here this morning, and I don't know how you got here, who invited you, you know, you accidentally, <laughs> Jackson's like, you drove me here, you make me come. That's my son. Um, he loves it. Uh, but, but God has put you here this morning, no matter what else you've gone through. God has worked in your life to the point of bringing you here this morning. And this isn't some perfect church or anything like that. But there's a perfect message that's proclaimed to you this morning that God loves you in an incredible way, so much so that he came, put human flesh on, and paid your ticket to be righteous and holy in God's sight so that he could dwell in you and, and have a relationship with you forever. So God was with you. Uh, no matter what, you look back in your life, where was God? God, God is not an absent father. He, he is there. Uh, number three, um, God will be with you looking forward. Because some of us have maybe gone through such difficulties that we look forward and we think, Man, God, I don't see God a part of my future, or I don't see any goodness in my future, and I've gone through so, such difficulty and pain. Um, and, and we have this incredible promise. Or, or maybe it's like, I, maybe I've done too many, made too many bad turns or wrong decisions or something that somehow maybe God was with me for a while, but now he's kind of given up on me. And I love, one, I'm going to share with you one of my favorite verses in Scripture, Romans 8.35. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Paul asks that question. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened by death? That's a gleam or a gleam. That's not the word. Uh, glint. Okay, moving on. Uh, a dim picture that he paints. That's an ugly picture of going through real difficulty that he, that he walks through there. And his answer is, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And then he goes through another list of whatever you think can separate you from God, neither, neither uh, death nor life, starts out with big ones, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Verse 39, no power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, so there's just, uh, this is an all-inclusive list and encouragement that we get from, from Paul, a guy who's gone through a lot of difficulties, but he knows that this life can throw us a lot of curveballs and be really hard, but there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Not the brokenness we've gone through, not our failures or mistakes, not illness or any kind of sickness we might endure, not, not divorce, not abuse from someone else, um, not our broken dreams that, that we see fall apart. Nothing 
that we go through in this life can separate us from God's love. Psalm 23, 4. Uh, Psalm 23 is a passage that so many people use as a great encouragement. As people are going through really difficult things, Psalm 23 is one of the most popular passages that, 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 they're, uh, that people are, you know, encouraged to read or that people might share with them. And, and one of the basis, thi- one of the foundational points of this passage is that God is with you. Even when I walk through, verse 4, even though when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Um, so here I want to end with the only question that I hope you walk out these doors and go, God is with me. Even though things are tough, that's not an indicator. God is with me. Uh, but are you with God? And that goes back to this opportunity we have for the Holy Spirit to reside in us. If we accept Jesus, trust in him, are you with God? Let me read uh, John, last passage I want to read with you. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing this, this uh, old carol. John 1, 10 through 13. He came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. And so here's a picture of people rejecting Jesus and saying, I don't want anything to do with you. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So have you accepted or have you rejected Jesus?